Hey, what's up, fam? This is Champagne Sharks. We had an episode that was pretty long on purpose. We knew it was going to be long, but we were doing a review of the play Slave Play, this time after we saw it as opposed to before and we had a lot to unpack so we knew it was going to be long and we knew ahead of time it was going to be split into two episodes so that's what you're getting now a two-parter and right now this is part one so enjoy it it's pretty good stuff and catch us next time for part two find me on twitter at ricky rawls r-i-c-k-y-r-a-w-l-s hope everyone's doing well uh quick house cleaning go to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks join the patreon for five dollars a month you get eight episodes a month instead of four i don't say two episodes a week instead of one anymore because uh, i'm just not good at releasing two episodes timely every week but we do get eight out um Per month so it's easier to just say eight episodes a month we're actually in the midst of like a big catch-up so there's gonna be a slew of episodes i know it's been a little while but uh bear with us and also go to uh champagne sharks on twitter that's just the handle at champagne sharks and champagne sharks.reddit.com which is like a fan community run by um like-minded champagne sharks fans they have a lot of good links there um we've actually started stealing uh show ideas from them so they do a good job last thing we're doing clearance of the old uh killmonger shirts because we're opening up some champagne shark swag and i wanted to get rid of all these old shirts i had lying around um so it's 60 percent off it's ten dollars per shirt it's a steal there were 25 dollars before we just kind of want to clean out the storage space so we can print up the champagne shark shirts so go to teamkillmonger.com or killmongerwasright.com they all lead to the same place choice of five shirts uh choose between the remaining sizes and it's um it's a pretty good deal and they're pretty nice shirts pretty high quality and now with all that out of the way um we have two guests with us it's going to be first let me introduce uh jay Yes, uh, it's me, Jay. I've developed a penchant for watching questionable plays with questionable content. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, that should become clear soon enough. And we have with us returning guest, Torin Walker. Hey, everybody. This is Torin Walker. I don't have a picture for watching questionable content, but I'm a really good observer and I'll talk about it. Oh, okay. Well, we have a pretty interesting episode because it's a topic I'm kind of uh, burnt out on. Uh, Kind of burnt out on it, but people gave us money. We crowdfunded to see this play. So I feel like obligated to, uh, you know, talk about the play and it's and it's uh, the play slave play. And one of the problems I had with it was... I don't know how to put it. It's well, first off, Jay saw it with me. That's why Jay is here, because uh, I wanted to see it by myself. I, I didn't want to see it by myself. I wanted a second opinion, plus someone to like talk to about it. And 
I to ask you, I'll let Jay start. Jay, what did you expect from the play and what did the play actually deliver in uh, in your mind? Well, from the initial descriptions I've read of it, I expected to see a play that dressed itself up as some kind of observation of of race and how these things interact with uh, sexuality and things of that nature. But at the same time, filled with degrees of pornographic content that's masked by a sort of intellect intellectualization of racial the racial dynamics between blacks and whites in this country for the past 100 400 or so years yeah it, it was i was really kind of disturbed by it but i'll tell you what disturbed me a lot too was about how many black people would you say were in um the audience and by the way uh torin um you feel free to ask or interject with questions at any um given point Okay, no worries. Yeah, yeah, but uh, Jay, like, how many black people did you black say? Black people were definitely underrepresented and a clear minority in the audience. Yeah, I would say it was probably maybe like, maybe five besides us, max. The there were two gentlemen sitting in front of us. There was one in the back. There was two other ones. Uh, two other females i remember yeah and then, then there was there was a there was one other um black woman that was actually disturbed by it and she expressed her uh her concern yeah there was the a black woman was very disturbed by it and then there's one black woman who seemed to enjoy it uh but she couldn't look us in the face yes yeah, she was gonna hide she, she looked like the grandmother that you might have seen at the strip club or something yeah yeah like, oh oh damn you guys caught me like that type of thing was she older or was she how old was she, she, she was older she, yes yeah yeah she, she had a grandma she had a grandma vibe and she was there, I think, with her uh, white partner, and huh. she was walking out after, and she looked, she was smiling. Yeah, she was smiling, but that kind of, she started looking at the ground afterwards. Yeah, she was smiling, and then she, then she caught eye contact with us, yeah. and then she kind of, like, <laughs> looked away and looked kind of nervous. Yeah, like, oh, damn, I've been, I've been caught. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, really, it was really bizarre. Like, Torin, I sent you a copy of the script, so you can have um, an idea of it. Did you finish the whole thing? Um, yeah, I got through the whole thing. Um, when it started out, it kind of gave me what I expected. It, um, I'd already heard, you know, some of the chatter about the play about like how one of the characters is a, uh, you know, how slaves work into Rihanna in front of a um, overseer. When I read it, I couldn't really get into it until I got all the way down to the end, and I kind of got an idea of what it was about. Although it made more sense to me, it didn't make me like it any further. It just sounded like, to me, it looked like, or it's rather, it sounded like somebody working out something that belongs in a therapist notebook on a stage, and I just didn't get it. I didn't like it. Um, I just couldn't feel it. It felt exploitative and it felt like it felt like a personal journey, but nothing that I could really relate to. And what was interesting to me about it was the people who I saw who were relating to it. And that's that was interesting to me as well. Uh, can you expand on that? Yeah. Um, well, when I first heard about the play, like I said, I, you know, I read some descriptions and I'm like, yeah, I'm not really feeling this. And then I started looking around and I started seeing people on social media, Twitter to be exact, saying this play is groundbreaking. This play is it speaks to me. And the people who were doing this were, for lack of a better term, the people I like to term uh, blue check blacks. Yeah. These are the, you know, these are the black people who have jobs, you know, they're cultural critics at like major publications that black people don't run. And they're basically the Negro whisperer for like people who run these, um, run these outlets who don't really have the courage to go say things about black culture because they may not be familiar with it or they're afraid of the backlash. So they let these people who they hire do that for them. The people, these are basically the people I saw praising this play. And I'm like, either you are completely detached from your culture or 
you are willing to say anything for a job. That's the only thing I could think of it. Or you need some help. That's just me. Right? Yeah, yeah. It was it was very it was very weird. One thing I'll say is this: if you read the play, um, we talked about this off air before um, we started recording, but um, the the play reads differently than it's performed. Like, and I think that difference is probably down to the director, because um, I think the director, you know, makes a lot of choices and kind of directs how actors should uh, perform. So. So the play seems like it takes itself a lot more seriously, even though it describes itself as a comedy within the script. It takes itself a lot more seriously, it seems, and it seems like it really thinks it's dropping some knowledge. But then the actual performance of the play, uh, how it's actually staged by the director, is a lot more farcical and broad. The humor is almost slapsticky, minstrel minstrelsy like it's it's um like like the parts with the actual slave play where the uh slave and the master are kind of um interacting so much of it is just cringy like how they have the slaves talking how it's how broad and stereotypical um everything is and it felt uncomfortable seeing it um played for laughs especially in an audience full of white people like it was really weird and i spent a lot of time i couldn't stop doing it because one of the problems is this one of the problems is that we did this two or three episodes i forgot how many episodes we did but we did these episodes about slave play where we did this deep dive and we went through all these articles and we tried to piece together um our impressions of the media circus around it without having seen the play first because it was going to take me a while to see it and we kind of wanted to talk about it while it was hot so we did this episode we had all this speculation about what the play was about and people kept telling us online uh a lot of white liberals and a lot of blue check blacks were telling us oh you know how are you talking about it without even seeing it oh you got to see it to know there's a big twist and you know the twist is bullshit but um <laughs> anyway they so we did these episodes, but we still thought with all this talk that, pe- that people had, it was going to be enough different from seeing it that we'd still be able to do an episode about the content. And I swear every single thing that we predicted or discussed about that play ended up being true. Like all that twist shit, all that stuff that they were, not only was everything we said true and everything that the um, black people online said was true, but I would say it was worse than what I expected. It was... Like it was just gross. Yes, was, I would I would agree with that also. It was gross. It was pornographic, and it was gratuitous. Like there was, it was so unnecessary to get that graphic to get whatever point it was trying to get across in the second act. And because you saw the written version, um, you're not able to really tell because I mean, in the instructions, uh, in the stage instructions in the script, it's not like it's you know breaking down like you know page after page of you know pornographic um content you know like the script will just basically say something like you know they begin having sex you know but in the actual staging of the play like they have things that aren't reflecting the script like all the couples coming out at once and psychedelic music and a giant orgy and people climbing all over each other to you know bang each other and simulate sex and they did they did things like there's a mirror in the back of the play so the audience can see themselves in the play 
but it's also a mirror over the bed. So you get multiple angles of the sex acts. Like you get to, you get to watch above and that mirror on the top of the bed serves no purpose except to enhance the angles. Like, like there's no other aesthetic choice for being like, you know what? Here's a top view of the smut, you know, <laughs> like, like there's, there's no, there's no oh, deep boy. psychological thematic reason that you need a top view of the simulated sex or why the sex has to be that long, etc. And yeah, it was just really weird. It, it, but going back to what I, what I was originally saying, because as I was watching the show, I was like, wow, this is not only everything I thought, but just everything I thought squared. I was I was thinking about this episode at the time. And I'm like, I have to do something to generate content because because this, this is just all I'll be doing. If I talk about the players, just repeating what was in those two episodes. So I just started trying to look at the audience and I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to make as many observations about the people here, the physical look of the place, what audience members are doing. And I kept looking at the black people there. And first off, all the black women there had natural hair. That was uh, the first thing that struck me. It was not a, a permanent place. Like they all look like they kind of work for BuzzFeed. Um, and well, you're not anymore. You're right. But uh, yeah, it was. And the older ones still had uh, natural hair. They were all there with uh, white partners, except for the two black males who might have been gay. It might have been a couple, but they were all there with white partners. And I have to think, you know, that's got to be like, what's going on here? Because it's so pornographic and debasing. And I was trying to think, like, what did he do when they leave here? Did he go home and like reenact it? Like, uh, go on. Feel free to interrupt at any time. What was interesting, they were... Two black girls who seemed to be friends, they were grinning from ear to ear for a large portion of the play. There was a black guy. Oh, a quick thing. Of those two black girls, yes. uh, we thought they were just by themselves at first, but I realized one of them was with that white guy next to okay. her. Yeah, yeah. So, I might so, not have noticed yeah. that. But um, there was a black guy and some racially ambiguous girl. And at the end of the play, she she gave, she got up and gave a standing ovation. I was like, like damn, what what did what did she get from this? Oh yeah, yeah, she gave a standing ovation. I mean, she was racially ambiguous, but she still seemed white. Like she seemed yeah. like yes. she might have been like uh, a whitish. She was either like a one of those like Jewish girls with curly hair. Mm. She could have been like Middle Eastern. She could have been Hispanic, but she definitely looked like yes. white. You know, she, she looked like what um, I heard white people call other white people like her, like like spicy whites. She looked like a spicy white. She yes. looked like you know, she uh, had like a little bit ethnic, but at the end of the day, she can benefit from that white privilege, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, so something that Jay said, didn't you say during one of the, um, well, well, I'll let you say it. What happened with the couple next to you? Yes, I, I wanted to touch on that. Yeah. Very early in the play, in the initial scene with the Kenesha character and Jim, I noticed that the couple next to me, not only did they start holding hands, but they started, they, they clasped hands together firmly in almost a seductive or as if they were being turned on and they, they kept on holding hands throughout the play I, it, it, which really begs the question that what were these people getting from this play you know what it sounds like to me um from your descriptions of the crowd it sounds to me like a lot of these people were living vicariously through what they were seeing on stage and it was probably giving them some sort of outlet for some sort of deep-seated you know sexual fantasies they either are playing at home or they don't want to face and they're probably going to end up exploring because of that now to me if if you're a couple and you're into that that's your business but i think it speaks to a deeper issue that's going on between whoever's involved in that like if you are going to see a play like this you're an interracial couple 
and you're getting some sort of vicarious thrill through seeing that that speaks to me more about like what's really the dynamic going on in your relationship are you together because you may have found somebody that you like and you dig or is there some sort of deep-seated thing going on that you want to maybe either you're either afraid to address or you were looking for a way to maybe explore these things that you wanted to do in the first place if that makes sense because i think a lot of couples i think a lot of people I don't want to speak for everybody. Obviously, everybody's different. But I think in America, a lot of interracial couples have a lot of this baggage going on that they don't address. And maybe the place doing the service by giving them a reason to do that. But I think it's just if you're not going to really get into the deep dive of where that history, what that history is, the brutality of it, the savagery of it, and you don't address that. I think it just becomes a basically a fetish party for people who want to address that on a superficial I think it definitely, level. I think it definitely was. And one thing that, I mean, I already knew this, but I mean, this being there physically really confirmed it to me. This was not made with black people in mind, really. I mean, maybe as an afterthought, because this thing was so careless with regard to black people's mental health because like jay said and we're going to expand on later uh we, we met a black woman who was severely like traumatized and i don't know about you jay but me myself i underestimated how traumatized i was like i woke up the next day and i felt like shit and it took me a while to put two and two together because i think because at the time i was kind of like like oh that was weird but you know it didn't really have an effect on me but when i was done it was like the, the next day i was like why do i feel like shit i couldn't get out of bed and i was like oh that shit was what it was like that thing like really drained me and not really like a good type of draining like, yeah. it's not really a cathartic oh, yes. type of draining or uh, the type of trauma that you go through to come out on the other side mm. stronger it was just like it just broke you down and then didn't didn't even bother to um do anything with you after or build you up or like like what lesson do you think you're, you're supposed to take from it uh jay as a black person not a damn thing <laughs> okay okay here's a question what lesson do you, think, do you think a white person was supposed to take from it well you have the, the explore exploration of certain fetishes there's the the comedic aspect of it that there were a bunch of people laughing there too that stuff that I didn't think was funny. And also, there's this type of mindset that I noticed that white people have to observe, constantly observe things involving black people. And they always on this reconnaissance. I remember there was this older black, not, not black, but older white lady that was there. And we were talking to her. And towards the end of the conversation, she mentioned like, oh, did you guys read about this? And... Would you guys get this from the root? The root? I, 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 immediately, I didn't think about it. I was like, wait a minute, how the hell is she reading the root in all these uh, publications? Oh, 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 wait, no, but no, but you know what's funny? This is what oh, was did she, funny. She really, she really asked you that seriously. She really yeah. asked that. Root? Wow. She goes, did you did you guys see this in the root? You know, but you, you know it's funny. It makes sense because I've been I've had a Google News alert for this, and I've had like I've been looking for this because I've been when I was doing the slave play episodes, I was reading about it to kind of put together what the show was about. So as far as I knew, the root didn't do a story on it so i was like did you read about it in the root like like you know like um because and i was asking that because as far as i knew the root hadn't done a story about it. i don't know if they've done a story since but before we saw it, the root didn't do a story about it like i knew just about all the places that did stories about it like the, the undefeated did a story i think the undefeated was the only thing by a black person at the time that wrote about it and she was like oh no i didn't um read in the root or anything so i'm like wait so he just picked a random like like he just picked the only black <laughs> shit that you knew and just asked us like like the idea that we could only have found out about it by reading the root like i was like this bitch like, but, it's actually, but it's actually pretty, it's kind of a pretty good accurate analysis. You had to pick something that's pretty damn accurate. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, she, she's that is kind of paying attention. What bugged me out was she's older. She had to be at least seventy. Yeah, she was like, in her sixties or seventies. Yeah, like uh, my my. And she went by herself too. Yes, that that's a that's a good observation as well. Yeah. Um. Here's something that's very interesting, right? Well, first before I get to that, let me just say this. I think that play was for black tokens or black mascots and the white people in their lives. Like that's what that thing was for. It was for, or, or, or it's for. Let me put it the other way around because that makes it seem like the black people are priority. Let me. Reverse that. It's for white people who have who have black lovers who are tokens, and for the tokens themselves. Like that, that that's what it's for, and for them to kind of, um, I guess, figure out their issues or something. Like like, but it's basically for for white people and the tokens. That that's what it is. The tokens that they have sex with, and that's is basically all that it's about. Is have you ever seen like movies about addiction? About 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 unrepentant addiction like say like um train like spotting a requiem for a dream stuff like that that's another yes. one i was thinking of right like this is exactly how i would put it like picture like if you replace the addiction instead of being um heroin or whatever like if it was being addicted to um sex with white people that's what it, so it's like it's like a train to me it felt like a train spotting or a requiem for a dream or one of those Unrepentant drug addict movies, <laughs> except the drug is white genitalia, <laughs> and and it's the same exact feeling I get from those movies where you get kind of like that unpleasant feeling when you see it. Because there's um, I'm gonna say one last thing and then I'll pass it over to you guys. I used to like reading about like um addiction stuff because I just like reading anything about psychology, right? And one of uh, the books I read put it in a really good way. It says like, um, like there's a couple of hallmarks to addiction. And one is first there's, um, you have to compulsively seek out or, you know, search for the mood changer. It called it the mood changer. Like, you know, the thing that uh, makes you feel good, that gives you that artificial narcissistic supply. Then the second thing is you get a tolerance to it like you need more of it to get the same effects and the third thing is you go through withdrawal if you don't have the thing so it's like you can't just uh stop it when you do stop it you go through withdrawal and then what was interesting is what is said about the last two but how it manifests itself the withdrawal and the tolerance it said at first the drug makes you happy like you go from feeling normal to happy like you're like, um, wow, this drug makes me feel invincible. But then as the tolerance goes up, you go from using the drug to feel happy to just using the drug to feel normal. Like, you know, like if I don't take this drug, I feel like shit. I mean, that even happens with coffee. Like like a lot of people are addicted to coffee. It's like um, they don't even feel normal until they have their first cup of coffee. Like like they're just using it just to not feel like shit. Then the advanced stage of addiction is when you're just taking the drug to reach a misery that you know or misery that, that you're comfortable with. Like you're so the drugs not even making you happy anymore. It's like bubbles on the wire. Like bubbles was not using drugs to get happy or invincible. And he wasn't even using drugs to feel normal. It was just a misery that he was more comfortable with to the point that he couldn't define himself without that misery. Like that misery became his identity. Like, you know, he was more afraid of the unknown misery that faced him without heroin than the misery that he had fallen in love with. And like that's like the worst level of addiction, where it's not even like you're trying to be happy. You're just more scared of not being like you don't know who you are without a drug anymore. Like you can't even imagine uh, your life. Like your life could be better, but you don't even want to risk 
finding out who you are without the drug. Like picture that description, that final stage, but with white genitalia. And that's this play. Like this movie is, is just, this play is like people who are just miserable in their addiction to white genitalia, but they're they're more scared of the idea um, of not having it or figuring out who they are without a white person telling them who they are or trying to see themselves. Like I think as, as scary as this play made interracial relationships look, and everything. I think the people in the play, the people who wrote the play, the people who directed the play, and the people in the audience of the play would be five times more scared about a space without white people. Like, if it was a play, it was like a Tyler Perry play with just black people, like, that would be like a horror movie to them. Like, they would take this misery. Like, even if it was a play about black people being happy, like, like all black people on stage, and they're all just happy just being around each other, and you told them which play would you rather live in, I think if they were being honest, they would say, I would rather just keep working it out uh, with the white people because if I have to be happy without them, I'd rather be um, miserable. Um, you know, it's funny. It's funny yeah. you say it like that um, because when I when this play started getting known, I started looking around at who was doing it, and the guy who wrote it and directed it, Jeremy O'Harris. If you look at his work or the writings and the things he's done before this, basically what I'm getting from him is his whole life, or at least his whole public life is trying to reconcile his obsession with white men to his own identity. And a lot of his identity seems to be wrapped up in that. He wrote a piece um, a couple years ago called Decolonizing My Desire for Vice. Oh, man. Yeah. And did, did you read it? Oh, yeah. Um, we discussed it in the in the episode that we did where we didn't actually see the play yet. Yeah. 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 But, 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 but the whole, I, the whole I treat every episode like it's somebody's first. So, so <laughs> feel free to uh, describe it again. That's fine. Okay, well, basically, the whole premise of Decolonizing My Desire is him working out the fact that he was obsessed with how he looked in the eyes of white men and how he can only be attracted to and feel sexual in the arms of a white man to the point where basically his whole subconscious and his whole identity was wrapped up in the idea of how am I desirable to them and how am I pleasing them? That's basically what he was talking about. That's the um, psychology of the person who wrote this. And also, he has another play that's coming out after a slave play called Daddy based on um, the relationship between a rich white benefactor and his younger black lover. Um, so this is definitely a theme in his work. Um, I don't know and if he's it's also a theme in his life. He's also workshopping a third play that's more about the same thing. Let me, um, I think it's called Water Sports, but it has an interesting um, Great. subtitle. And, and like Slave Play, see like each of his plays kind of has a double entendre like title. Like, you know, because daddy is something, there's something called daddy play. And that's something that um, is yeah. a form of like, you know, sexual, it's a sexual fetish, fetish. Yeah. role play. And slave play is a sexual fetish. So the, so everything is like a literal aspect of it. And then a gutter sex uh, type of kink aspect to it. So water sports is like um, sex that involves uh, urinating. And they call um, urine play in uh, sex uh, water sports. So I'm sure there's probably some textual in story reason why it's called water sports. Just like in a slave play, there's a role playing as slaves element to the story that gives it its title, you know. But I think it's also meant to evoke the um, the whole. I think it's probably meant to sh- yeah, it's probably meant. To, it's probably all this stuff is done to shock, and that's yeah, nothing, yeah, exactly. You yes. know, and it's nothing new in art. That always happens. But if you have one creative who's complete, basically up to this date, his whole um, genre is basically um, kinky and racial gay sex and transgressive gay sex, and this is all that he's done, and this. Even before anybody knew who he was, he was writing about this stuff. Um, to me, 
he has the freedom and he has the right to write whatever he wants. What's interesting to me about all this is out of all the off-Broadway plays and all the black playwrights that are out there, why is this particular um, guy being praised? Why is he being uplifted as the new voice of black of black um, black plays? Yeah, and that's something you know that's I mean? worth um, exploring. Uh, let me just see what the name of that third play is. And it's already available on Amazon for pre-order. It's available on April 2nd, 2019, if you feel masochistic enough. I'm, I've done my <laughs> masochistic... The the title is Water Sports or Insignificant White Boys. So (laughs) (laughs) again, it's the same, same shit. And and um, here's the description on uh, Twitter. So he's just beating the steam into the ground. It's just okay. We get it. You like white penis like it's like and it's not necessarily. Well, first, let me finish the the description. Uh, It's it's July. 5th, 2015, and tomorrow James Baldwin will depart for the McDowell colony where he plans on writing his homosexual tome entitled Giovanni's Room. But first he has to make brunch with Robert Maplethorpe because their guests are about to arrive. In this new immersive work of autofiction, the author delves deep into his own psyche to discover what it means to be fluid and how one begins the work of decolonizing their desire. And this was interesting, right? This is what I think. But I want to ask you guys, what do you think decolonizing his desire means to him? Because to me, the phrase decolonizing your desire means to me, you want to quit your addiction to white people. But to free. Yeah. But to me, it just seems like he just wants to be with them on better terms. Like he, he wants to educate them into like, like, for example, that movie, um, that, that movie and series, Dear White People, somebody once um, described it to me as a joke after they saw they said they should call it dear white people stop being racist so we can have sex with you and i feel like that's what uh his personal project is his personal mission like what he calls decolonizing his desire is really about he doesn't really want to get rid of the obsession he more just wants the obsession to operate on a terms that makes him you know know, he wants to be a functional addict that's his goal he doesn't want to kick the drug he wants to figure out a way to be a functional addict like you know i want to be on heroin but still hold a job and be successful well if you want the truth i think a lot of people who or praising that play, the blue checks that I talked about want the same thing. You know what I mean? They just want it in a different yeah. way. They want to, you know, they want they want to have that same sort of desire. They want to be free to explore that desire with white people, and they just want to be left alone about it from black people and white people. They I want was it to right be happy. They want it done nicely. That's all it is. They don't want to be yeah, reminded of what they don't want to be reminded of their obsession. They don't want to be reminded of their addiction. They just want to do it in peace. And and these people too, you know, I think happens with them. They want to be with white people so as to be better than other black people. As in like like they feel like because one thing to be honest about is a lot of times, unless you've been raised with that certain type of uh, pro-black spirit, which a lot of people aren't, you don't really know how to judge yourself without a white person telling you. Like, uh, what makes a black person uh, smart if they went to an Ivy League school? Like, people will praise uh, Barack and Michelle because they went to Ivy League schools, you know? Like, a lot of people will praise somebody for going to Howard, but they'll praise them for that almost if they made a sacrifice. Like, oh... You chose to go to the nigger school. Like, you know, wow. Like, like, like the vibe is not really, it's like, 
the compliment is different, even if it comes from black people. They kind of make it seem like, oh, you made a sacrifice or you were pro-black enough to be willing to be around um, black people. But, you know, it, it's a rare kind of person, black or white, that will look at you going to Howard and look at it as a sign that you're smarter or the smartest. That or, the smart. yeah, yeah, or, or just smart. Yeah, or just smart. But the same thing with being attractive. Like, you could be on the cover of 50 million black magazines, but when Rihanna, like, makes a cover of Vogue or, you know, they'll be like, oh, she's the second black person to be on British Vogue or, you know, so-and-so got this. And the, and the implication is now we know we're beautiful because even white people are telling us. Exactly, exactly. But you got to look at it too, though. I don't even think it's the point of like people who think like that. I don't think it's really a general thing. I think it's more like the people who get these positions and they are being anointed the spokesperson for black people. Most of them, if you do a little bit of research, did not grow up around black people. They either grew up upper middle class or they grew up in biracial households and they're dealing with identity issues most of their lives. So what happens is when they go to college or when they get a little bit older, they want to explore their blackness. And what happens is they either get really, really insecure and they attack everybody else or they turn into Angela Davis or Malcolm X and they get blacker than everybody. And it's all overcompensating. They don't really they still don't really know who they are. So something like this would feed into that because it's something that they're it kind of mirrors the internal struggle that's going on within their own psyches. So they would appreciate something like this. So they would see that is something groundbreaking for somebody else who grew up black would look like this is crazy as all hell yeah it's 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 really interesting because but I'm, I'm just gonna say this and you know you guys might feel different and you know everybody is entitled to their particular feeling right and i'm one of those people like me myself i'm in an interracial relationship but uh my wife is indian right but i'm also of the belief that because there's so many people who are with other black people and they will be like you know two coons in a pod like you know so so it's like i don't always have that attitude like just because you're with the black person you're automatically you know doing great things for black people i'm also the belief even if you're with a white person you're not automatically like um a sellout but the one thing that i always uh say is i always believe you have the right to question somebody like you know for example even with myself if somebody says uh hey you're with uh an indian woman i don't trust you to be uh you know speaking um, on these issues yeah speaking on these issues i believe you have that right to scrutinize me and ask me to um you know pr- show and prove or to do like uh, extra work or you also even have the right to just not do that you have the right to say you know i don't you know that's a deal breaker for me like i believe in the whole uh neely fuller vgq like black people have the right to say you know what they want to say as long as they're not shitting on other black people as as a whole i believe in that so 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 personally i think you know even if you are with white people date white people you know marry white people like i don't think that automatically um you know disqualifies you i also don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing but what i will say is if you're in relationship to white people is what's in this play then you should not be with white people like the this play made interracial relationships look so bad so painful so traumatizing that it was really weird to me because i'm like okay to me they seem to look like they seem to hate it or have a worse opinion or worse image of it you know than i do 
So why do these people have such a hard time kicking this habit? And and that's what made me tell Jay after. I'm like, this is really an addiction to these folks. These people are really addicted to sex. Because this is this is like what it looks like when they're doing drugs in train spotting or when Bubbles is doing drugs in the wire. Like, you know, their life is in shambles and they're miserable, but they just can't stop craving that um that fix. And well, consider consider the source. Yeah. I mean, if you go back and look at the look at um Harris's earlier work, I mean, obviously there's some stuff that he's working out psychologically that he's doing on stage. Um and apparently people are responding to it, so evidently he's not alone, you know? Yeah, I knew he was working out something. I just didn't realize he hated it that much. Like like I don't know, Jay, do you think he had anything nice to say about interracial relationships in the I don't think so, but but here's the interesting thing, but you can you know, there's a thin, they say there's a thin line between love and hate. He might hate it, but he, at the same time, he might also love it in a perverse way. You know, as you're, you know, as we're conversing, I, it just dawned on me how disturbing that final scene was and how dark it was. Literally. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is going to be an episode. I mean, I think off the bat, it's going to have to be like a double episode because there's just too much to unpack. But yeah, that that final scene, like, here's one thing that I wonder, right? And this is what really depressed me while watching the play. And I mean, this, this really depressed me. Like I got like existentially bleak sitting in this play because when I was sitting there and I was like, God, if this is what we have to be to be around black, to be around white people, like and be successful and to like shine, this is like the Faustian bargain. Like we have to produce shit like this and we have to live lives like this and we have to pretend to appreciate or actually learn to generally appreciate like 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 smut like this. You know, like it's fucking like it's just sad. Like I just felt really fucking depressed. And it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't even entertaining. Oh, I'm sorry, both of you both of you spoke at once, so Oh no, I'm sorry. Actually, actually, are you first, Torin? No, all I, I was saying that um, a lot of people are probably taking that deal. I mean, did, oh, you, yeah. guys see, did you guys see "Sorry to Bother You"? Yeah, yeah. There was a to lot me, of "Sorry to Bother You" feeling in it. Yeah. To to me, the scariest scene in movie in in film in 2018 was the scene where at the end of that, where he goes to the mansion party and everybody's screwing everywhere, everybody's balling each other out, and the dude played by Omari Hardwick goes up to um Cassius and says, "Go down that hall, turn to the right door. He's waiting on you." Yeah. I guarantee, I guarantee you, half the dudes in Hollywood have done the same sort of thing. And they might not have been in their horses, but what was back there was probably worse than horses. But they went yeah, 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 ex- yeah, ex- exactly. And it was it could have something sexual uh, involved in it for sure. Um, Jay, what were you saying? It, it, the, the play wasn't even enter- it wasn't even entertaining enough to justify. It wasn't entertaining to us, but the people in the audience were fucking dying, including I, I, the black people. Like they were laughing. Uh, like what the fuck are you laughing man, at, man? You know, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> we're not the target audience, so it wasn't entertaining <laughs> to us. But that was an entertained audience, and that depressed me even more. Seeing black people just laugh like that at insane shit. I'm, I'm sorry, but go on, Jay. It wasn't funny. I, I'm, I'm honestly perplexed, man. Like, like, like here's one of the most entertaining scenes, not to us, but according to the uh, uh, audience. Mm. Um, there's a part where this guy uh, in the slave play, he's called uh, Gary, but he wants to be called Nigger Gary. Yes. And the gay couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the gay couple. And what happens is, actually, let me see if I can find it in the, in the script. Cause I have the script in front of me. Actually, I don't need to read the script because it's, it's not it's not that deep. Uh, basically, um, there's a part where he's out there with um, his partner and he's playing the black overseer. Oh, oh, oh here it is. The, the, uh, the black guy, right? Sometimes slaves can be um, overseers, I guess. So this black slave is kind of overseeing a poor white 
on the plantation and he's managing um you know the poor white and the black slave who's the overseer is called gary and the poor white is called dustin and then um gary says this this is, this is verbatim from the play gary says i know your name is dustin 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 that's about the only white thing about you dustin but what should i call you and then dustin says your name is gary that's pretty white too don't you think and then gary responds and on stage this guy put some stank on it like he leaned into it he says it's nigger gary my name is nigger gary and then the audience was just dying, like cracking up, like like this was just the funniest thing they ever saw. And I'm just like, okay, this the only thing funny about that is that they said the word nigger. That, that's that's it. Like you know what I mean? Like he just basically gave them a safe space. These white NPR listening, latte swilling. <laughs> intellectuals, liberals, to be able to, a safe space to laugh at and enjoy the word nigger for being the word nigger. Well, there you and go. And not feel guilty about it. And I was just looking at white people, like there was this gay couple up front, these two young gay guys, and they laughed even louder, like they laughed so loud and disproportionate. Like the way they were laughing, I mean like, even for the rest of the audience, I mean, and me and Jay were looking at each other like, damn, it's really not that funny. Like, like these guys are about to fall out the chair. Like there was, everyone was just so happy to hear the word nigger. Like it was, and I was thinking about to write that and the, the director's black, like everything about it, you could tell it was crafted to get that laugh. It wasn't inadvertent. Like, like you ever see a, a play or a movie that does something serious and it's unintentionally funny and you know because it's because it's bad yes this was calculated like that laugh was calculated like like and in his thing in his decolonizing my desire he kind of admits that he learned to study white people and give white people what they want he thought of it as a type of using of them and you know the way this movie was staged i can see that like he knows white people want to hear would, would laugh at that and he gives them a space to um enjoy it like this audience this is about meeting a specific type of white person's needs and he crafted it for that reason and secondarily for black people like him who are addicted to white people and want, you know, you know, there's that movie, How to Train Your Pet Dragon. Like this is how to train your pet white person. Like, you know, <laughs> and that's what this thing uh, was. And yeah, it was just, and that kind of uh, just depressed me too. Like to see like all the black people laughing at this shit and sitting next to the white partners. And it was just uh, weird. That kind of piggybacks off of what we were talking about earlier about how like people who um, a lot of black pundits, a lot of people who were praising this said you need to go see the play to understand it. I think that kind of factors into this whole idea of like the talented 10th where they are in their minds. They feel like they've been ordained by God or ordained by white society to go into white society and then come back and explain um, what's what culture is to the uncultured negroes and stuff i think a lot of them really believe that you know it's an old it's you know it's an old mentality but it's still here you know what i mean because if you yeah. look at how, the way people respond on you look at social media look at the way people talk to people who who've been oh, to these true. white ivy league schools and the way they kind of talk down to everybody else especially black people you can tell that mentality still going on and i think a lot of that was going on with this play there was a lot of what i what i picked up from a lot of people who were defending their um approval of it was like well then you're not sophisticated enough to understand this well you haven't seen it and you want to understand it and it's like they're kind of like forcing themselves to believe that to make themselves feel superior about the fact that you know they feel like they're on a higher plane than everybody else and a part of that is going along with this plane and liking it because white liberals have said that this is something you should watch and you know thing i will say i don't think they even want to enlighten the rest of the black masses i think what they actually want is to manage them like they like if there's something called the professional managerial class and that managerial class is what kind of 
runs the world now and that's politics they want to be designated the managers of the black department so so if there's like the professional managerial class right and you know the politicians or the, or the white politicians are the ones who run you know uh, the professional managerial class there's a wing of it called you know the black department and the black um professional managerial people are like hey um you know i'm black i went to school with you can I be in charge of the black department? You know, I, I could do I could deal with, with the niggers for you, you know, and <laughs> so I don't even think they even really want to educate us. They just they just want to manage black people. And that's what they're going for. They go to these schools and they get these jobs not to uplift black people as a whole or to, you know, do some spooky sap at the door shit and bring secrets back to the black community. They do it in hopes that they can cut out a corner for themselves as the managers of black people. And that's what, that's what they want to be. So they, um, uh, that's from Adolf Reed. I can't take credit for, uh, <laughs> that idea. It's in, um, various things that he wrote about how, you know, they just want, you know, a powerful white person to designate them, uh, a manager of, um, and a cultural translator of, uh, black people. And so this is my thought on, on, a lot of this, what they were telling black people, I think this is what they thought, what their job there was, we want to show you white liberals how valuable we are by getting these black people to shut up. So my thought on it is after having seen the thing, they weren't actually really trying to enlighten black people to anything of importance. Like, like they weren't like, hey, you have to um, see this It's great or this is why it's good. Their thought is these niggers are too poor and incurious to ever go see this thing. So let's just tell them any old shit, they're never going to see it and it'll just shut them up. So I think they wouldn't expect one of us to actually go to the thing. So then they could just say forever that, oh, you would have loved it if you saw it, you know? And like, like, um, because when I saw it, I'm like, why on earth would they even encourage black people to see this? Because it would just give up the game. Like when you look at it, you can see, holy shit, this is everything that people complained it was going to be without seeing it. So I was trying to figure out why would you send somebody, you know, it would be like if there was a movie just full of rape and somebody was saying, hey, this is exploitative and uh, it's going to be full of rape. And, and, and if I saw the movie, I knew it was full of rape. The last thing I would say to someone is, well, you need to go see it and then you'll know because I would know in my heart when that person goes to see it, they're going to realize that, you know, they were right. So I was, when I watched it, I'm like, one of two things has to be happening here. Either they're so tone deaf that they don't actually realize how exploitative it is. So they're just sending people into the slaughter, like, like they're just leading the lambs right to the slaughter, right? Because they're so clueless. Or they just think that the lambs are never going to make it to the slaughterhouse. So they'll never just know. My personal theory is I think the white people were so clueless that because they didn't traumatize them they couldn't possibly imagine how it could traumatize a black person so they were just cluelessly stupidly just telling black people to go see her or telling them oh it's not so bad meanwhile the black people either they were so disconnected from the sense of themselves as black people that they viewed it through white eyes or they knew it was traumatized it would be traumatizing in the exact ways the black critics were saying but they just didn't give a fuck they were like who cares if you don't like it you don't pay my bills and i don't want to live around you or sleep with you or be around you anyway i want to be with these white liberals and even if you do get traumatized you know 
well, fuck you. It's good for you. That sounds about right. I mean, there was a precedent for that. Remember um, when the whole scandal broke about the um, white woman who's going to curate the hip hop exhibit at the Smithsonian? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You remember how like all these people, all these blue checks who basically built their platforms talking about the lack of inclusion for black people in movies and in, you know, and behind, you know, and see in boardrooms and that sort of thing. All of them came out to defend this woman against the DJ in D.C. Fascinating, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, and then when it came out that he had a little bit of clout in D.C. and he knew some of the same people and everybody put their hat in their hand and started saying we apologize. For a lot of these people, man, it's about clout, whether it's clout from white liberals, whether it's clout from social media, whether it's clout in any kind of way. It's like they want to be seen as the HNIC and anything that kind of upsets that they're going to fight against and anything that will get them closer to that. They're going to endorse regardless of how detrimental it is to the rest of the population or the rest of the black community. Like you said, they don't care. It's about clout. Yeah, yeah. They they really they really don't uh, care. Oh, one time somebody told me once that you know the way to judge like a work of fiction, like a great way to judge it, and it always stuck with me. Uh, was you know it should be about it should be about something. It should be born. It should be born from that something, and it should have something insightful to say about that something. And the first two were definitely covered, but the second act kind of pretends it's filling the third thing. Like, like it, it just pretends that's something insightful to say, and it's just a bunch of word salad. It's just pointless, intersectional, jargony, word salad. And somebody told somebody who saw it told me, I don't remember if it was you, Jay, or somebody else, because I, I talked to someone else who saw it. And if it was you, Jay, then I'm sorry I'm stealing your story. But um, <laughs> somebody told me that when they saw the movie or saw the play, the middle act is just the kind of like like there's this twist that happens and everyone keeps saying, oh, you have to see this twist. All the defenders of the movie and these people just have this kind of weird idea like this twist is some kind of big gotcha where, oh, if you see the twist, then you're going to feel stupid for bashing the play. And the twist is, and we discussed this before, the twist is stupid. It doesn't mean anything. The twist is just basically that everything you saw in the first act was really um, role play of these modern day couples. So all this master slave gutter sex that they were having was actually modern day people acting it out for therapy purposes. And they're in these real life modern day interracial um, couples. But the problem with that is by telling people not to tell people about it or not to know about it. And they try they give you little clues, but they try to make it so that you don't know. Like it's similar to like the Sixth Sense or M. Night Shyamalan movie where it's very clear the creators don't want you to know the twist. They want you to experience it not knowing what the twist is. So the problem to me is this, right? It doesn't matter about that so-called saving second act, because if you're sending people in to experience the first act as if it is what it says it is on its face, that's how people are going to experience it. You know, so don't be like, hey, I have some kind of trigger with rape. I was raped and I don't want to see a play called Rape Play that's just all about people falling in love with the rapist and, you know, you know, making rape seem like cool and stuff. And if somebody said, oh, no, trust me, it's fine. Just go and see it. And, you know, you're not seeing the whole thing because you know, they think black people are stupid. I, I, I suddenly realize this about them. They, th- they just think they can tell us anything. And a lot of the gatekeepers believe that, too. What's that? A lot of the gatekeepers think that, too. Oh, yeah, they totally think that, you know, and they were I'm, I'm including them in that, too. Like, you know, like, oh, you know, like, oh, shucks, boss, I was wrong. You know, and you're going to be all happy. <laughs> so it's like I uh, so it's like back to like the rape play hypothetical, like just picture like the first act is like 45 minutes of just, you know, dudes getting the rape on, you know, and they're acting out in gratuitous real time form. 
And you just, and the person goes through great lengths in, you know, making you think that what you think you're seeing depicted is what's being depicted. And then at 45 minutes, the person says, well, hey, guess what? That all wasn't really rape. It was just people pretending to rape. Don't you feel better now after the 45 minutes letting you think and experience that? Like, like only somebody who has no connection to the thing emotionally or personally or traumatically can see that and can think that would work. You, you know what I mean? And I think none of them would be stupid enough to even try that with the woman. If this is a woman that was deathly afraid of rape, first of all, they would never make a play called Rape Play, you know, that was all about uh, reenacting rape. And then they would never, they would tell you from the beginning, oh, this trigger warning, even if they did do that, they would do this trigger warning. They would not let people just think they were sitting through real depicted rapes. Like, you know, like, um, like they wouldn't just show scene after scene of women walking down dark alleys or going on dates and just getting raped in real time by their mates, like for 45 minutes straight. They would make sure those women were not, uh, traumatized so the thought that these white people would just tell black people were complaining oh because this is what the black people are saying the black people are saying this looks tacky it looks traumatizing slavery is something that we still feel today it's something very traumatizing the visuals of it make us feel bad it makes us feel all types of fucked up shit and then to hear people say that and say well you're wrong you don't know just go in there knowing that it's first of all not just that but you as a moviegoer I mean, you as a, as a playgoer, a theater goer, you could tell them if you were sympathetic, right? Like, like say back to the rape play example, right? You would tell the person to twist right then and there. The person would say, listen, I've been raped. I have people my family raped. It's very sensitive to me. I think most people would say, even if they're championing uh, the hypothetical rape, rape, uh, rape play, they would say, okay, I see your uh, problem, but okay, spoiler, it's not really rape. Go and see it, but you know, you should know it's not really rape. I feel like they would probably do that. With us, I think they take our pain and our stuff so trivially or they can't see us beyond being pets or mascots you know yeah, we're, not seeing, we're not seeing we're not seeing this full human being so of course they're not going to really care that much about what we feel you know what i mean yeah yeah exactly or you know they kind of think like oh it doesn't bother me you know that's how humans are with dogs like oh it doesn't bother me uh uh to have you sleep on the floor so why should it bother you dog and you know it's like that so well they're not they're, we don't even get that consideration the dog gets beds in their houses Oh, yeah, 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 that's true. A lot, a, a lot of them get more passionate about, I mean, you see like Michael Vick versus uh, uh, Zimmerman, like, you know, they, they do care about dogs more than black people. But, but, but yeah, yeah, so, so it's, and that's one thing that depressed me watching this thing was I was sitting there, I'm like, wow, this was the shit that these white liberals felt comfortable and confident enough to just send black people into, blindfolded, like, just straight up telling them and not even feel they deserve the respect to like they were hiding the twist the way somebody who loves the sixth sense or fight club hides the twist from someone they're recommending the movie to like 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 you can only do that if you think what comes before the twist is not that grievous not that bad so you know like when you when you send someone to watch fight club you send someone to watch the sixth sense you just tell them hey man just go in there man block everything out don't don't learn anything about this because man you have to experience it both ways it's fun both ways the pre-twist impression and the post-twist impression they're both awesome and the white people were talking to the black people who are just for the spilling their guts about their fears about the thing they're like listen man don't read anything trust us just go in there blind because there was this white guy who was trying to tell people about the twist i went and i found out about the twist and i just blasted the twist i was like fuck all of you i'm letting 
everybody know this twist because they're not going to care and it makes no difference you know and if anything it just adds it just spells out the level of contempt right but um so that's what depressed me that not only white people but black people could both think that this was something good for black people to experience uninformed about the twist like we need black people to go in here thinking that what they're seeing is real because we enjoyed it thinking it was real and of course they're going to enjoy it um the same way that part is the quote-unquote twist they did a terrible job at even trying to attempting to, to justify what, what preceded it yep it was like putting lipstick on a pig yep not only lipstick on a pig you put lipstick on the pig's anus <laughs> and then tried to tell me that this is the pig's face give it a kiss like, like it didn't even get the pig's mouth they, tried, they, they put it on his anus it, was, it, was, it looks it did a terrible job trying to Make it seem more artsy, uh, uh, contemporary, intellectual. It's like almost like bring the pig to your house. Like, oh shit, we gotta dress this pig up. You got any lipstick? <laughs> Put it. <laughs> Turn around, pig. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 you read the you read the middle act, right? Turn because you read the whole thing, right? Are you talking about the part where like where it stops right after um the uh, white guy and the slave are having sex, whatever, when they break into the into the present day yes yes when they break into the present day and now they're in the present day and you find out that it's uh actual therapy honestly what i got from it well first of all this is just my opinion i thought it was kind of a sloppy segue but aside from that um i felt a little bit more disturbed with it being in the present day than it was in the past because even if even as depraved as the first act was you can look at it and say well this was slavery it was depraved and all kind of sickness and all kind of insanity happened when you bring it into oh and it was a product of it was a product of its time exactly. so maybe the slave doesn't know exactly better you see or, what i'm yeah. saying but if you're in 2018 and you're still dealing with these things then like you said earlier you don't need to be it's not about being with anybody white you don't need to be with anybody at all you need to get therapy by yourself you don't need to be in couples therapy you need to have, find out who you are so I'm saying all that to say it just was not good. I didn't really feel anything from reading it. I just felt like this was just a bad way to segue from the past to the present. And it still doesn't resolve anything. If anything, it raises more questions. And maybe that was intentional. And it had no, and it had no point. Like, 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 okay, it raises more questions, but it doesn't even raise good questions or relevant questions. Like, it just raises. Like, this is how I felt, right? I felt like he was flailing in that second act to find the intellectual justification. Like, he was trying to find that third part of, okay, I need something insightful to say. And he just said, let me just put every piece of Fisher Price one hundred and one, my first intersectional textbook. <laughs> Um, jargon. Just put it all into this, and I'm gonna call BS on one thing that you said, Jay. In uh, when we watched it, because we watched it, and the second part was just so full of intersectional jargon that I was in a lots of monologues that I, I'm like, I cannot make sense of this. I cannot um process what it's trying to say like none of these um monologues are making sense to me nothing's making sense i can't relate whatever this monologue's about to the need for the slave play or what they were acting out in the slave play and jay was like no no i think i followed it all and then when i actually read the script because i was like you know what when i read it and i can uh digest it at my own speed because they were just kind of Staying on in a breakneck pace, it still made no sense to me, and I refuse to believe Jay uh, uh, that, that that you got anything uh, logical or uh, rational. I was, I was talking about this verbatim. I was, about, I was following the, what was being said, not that uh, I understood. Oh, <laughs> okay, okay, that, yes. Oh, so you're saying that you followed the words they were yes. saying, but uh, 
like me, you didn't understand how what we're supposed to take, take away from those. Like, yes, exactly. Okay. Oh, so okay. So now I feel reassured because I was because <laughs> I was reading that thing and I'm like, no, there's there's no one, someone, there's no way somebody can pull out any coherent form of reasoning. But again, out of any, that yeah. goes back to what we were saying earlier. Who's the audience for this? The audience for this is white liberals, and it's for for lack of a better term, the blavity blacks who love them and who are trying to figure out who they are in the world. Everything in that last act is basically the same sort of gibberish you see in a lot of these websites. I'm not going to say any names, but it's a lot of that same sort of seven syllable words that you see on social media that don't have any bearing oh, oh, to oh. anything that has to deal with the real world, but it gets retweets. No, 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 no. I totally agree, but this is what I'll say is different, right? On those websites and stuff, they'll have a lot of international jargon and it won't be related to the real world, but it will at least be related to the topic at hand. So they'll bring up a bunch of stuff that you'll listen to it and you'll be like, okay, I see what you're trying to say. It's just all bullshit. But I see the bullshit you're trying to peddle. Like, like I see what how you're trying to fool me. Like they, they were just saying stuff in this in this play that just had nothing to do with anything. Like it was just like okay, okay, like like I'll give an example. Like you know, there might be something that happens with a famous black man and a famous uh, black woman. And then you ask the intersection and then, you know, you might say, okay, this black man was falsely um, accused and there's no proof and maybe we shouldn't rush to judge him. And then the intersection will be like, oh, you know, black men are trash and here's rape statistics and here's like the CDC and how bad black men are. And you have to realize like black men are the number one uh, killer of black women. And even though that's, that's not true, like, you know, but at least a gibberish they're, they're telling you, you can see how it relates to what you're debating. It's just bullshit, but it, it at least relates. Like, to me, that second act, they were just dropping in every single intersectional talking point, but none of it connected to what the characters were going through to me. I was like, okay, I get what you're saying, but what does that have to do with anything? Like, okay, like you just mentioned, like, white privilege. Okay, what does that have to do with the fact that this black woman wants to get her, her back blown out for nine minutes uh, while being called a negress? Like, none of this is giving me any insight to why I had to sit through for 45 minutes of black people enjoying being debased like, like none of it like like there was this part um this came in the third act but you remember this jay she gives a long speech about going to the visit the plantation on a field trip yeah the elders watching her and all this stuff and then it gets followed with the white guy acting out a full-on rape of her with all these mirrors so you can see every angle it lasts really long she breaks down crying he and he breaks down crying as well which yeah. i, I want to get to this point mm-hmm. the the person that was humanized the most in this play i feel was the white guy jim yeah yeah it made him into a, a sympathetic character like he he, he, seemed, he seemed reluctant to, to to be there he's he he it made it they made it feel like oh he's being pushed through, into it by his, his his black girlfriend like oh i don't you know I don't, i'm not really into this type of thing and then when he actually engages it full on in the, in the probably one of the, the, the darkest scene of the play he starts breaking down crying in in, in a form or what i guess he was trying to convey some kind of regret or remorse like oh this is not like me like yeah yeah do this that's what they're trying to get and she enjoyed it and she thanks him for it like she thanks him like you know for raping because the whole the whole but think about it problem if you if you if your whole if your whole personality is based on white validation of course you're going to make the white partner sympathetic because you're trying to get their validation oh oh totally see but here's my problem nothing in that in all the monologue that she was saying gave me any insight as to why she wants to have that happen to her it just sounds like (laughs) yeah it just sounds like a cool monologue and it sounds deep because it has all the trappings and tropes 
of something deep. You know, you know, when you watch deep plays or prestige cable, there's always scenes where a character has like a monologue from their childhood or whatever and it sheds light yeah. on, you know, who they are. So you feel like you're watching something deep, but then when you stop and think about it, you're like, wait, this shit this shit had nothing to do like it just felt like it was going through the motions of something but like the whole field trip none of it explained to me why she was yeah. so why she's so needed Nothing to be raped past, she, she 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 didn't seem to express that she had any desire for white men at the time that there was any sexual trauma yeah um, if anything there was a lot of self-contradicting stuff like she was like oh i never been with a white man yeah your whiteness turned me on and i never wanted to be with a white man but you know i worship your whiteness like what what, what are you t- like there's nothing coherent the more they talk the less sense they make and she wasn't even <laughs> she she didn't she she wasn't even sexualizing herself as a child. She even mentioned something to the effect that, well, girls were making out under the trees and and you know getting fingered and she wasn't into that and yeah yeah that's another thing i thought she was gonna say like all the white girls were the ones that got to date the cutest white boys and yeah. stuff and i was just left by the side unpicked it wasn't even like there were times they were trying to predict where it was gonna go i'm like okay this must be where it's going does that make sense and it'll just be another dead end it'll be like <laughs> so, so she was like yeah all the you know white girls are under the tree getting fingered and making out on the field trip i'm like okay now something finally makes sense and then it'll go but i wasn't into that that wasn't really my I'm thing like, yes yeah, so i'm like okay so, so, so that's not it and then she'd be like oh it's so you know what let me see if i can find the actual <laughs> monologue because people might think you know hey maybe t and j are dumb <laughs> and if, <laughs> if i saw it <laughs> I would have totally got it. You know, they're just, you know. I'm going you know, to pull it up to see if I can find it too. <laughs> I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, here, I'm here in person with Jay, so I'm going to show Jay. Like, do you see uh, my notes? <laughs> Question mark? Question mark? <laughs> yeah. Arrow. I have notes, right? And on the notes, by passage, I, I just keep putting question marks. Because I'm like, what the fuck does this mean? Uh, what was strange too? Was like, oh, he was foreign. He was British. I was like, wait a minute. The British revolutionized slavery. What are you, what are you just talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, pardon me for this because this is this. I hope it doesn't come out too long. I'm gonna try to read it fast, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is the final scene, right? And and this is what I think really makes the whole thing about the second act twist being a redemption, like total bullshit. Because after all that intellect, masturbatory intellectualizing of the second act, yes. And first off, this is the only thing that I think the only purpose I think the second act serves. Oh, I forgot the story that. I um was gonna steal from you, possibly you, and I never it finished. Was me. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, because I went I went on a tangent. But this is what somebody told me that they overheard when they left the play. They said that they overheard two white people next to them, and one of them said, "You know." That was pretty good, but that second act was really boring. What was that? I zoned out. So, so basically, <laughs> this this white person is basically word, yeah. yeah. The white person basically said it was good, but they only enjoyed the simulated rape. <laughs> so they basically said wow. that second part. Yeah. And the irony is, to me, the second part only exists to give the white audience moral license to enjoy the R-rated slave play. Like, like Mandingo is and Drum and Goodbye Uncle Tom are these movies that are widely known to be uh, considered exploitative or whatever. And when I was watching this, I'm like, these same people, I bet we all feel disgusted to watch Mandingo and Drum and all this stuff because they're commonly considered among cultured white people to be trash and same thing with like Blavity Blacks and stuff. But I think those are all better because they're more honest. You know, like they don't give the 
white audience an easy out, you know? They kind of indict actually, them. If you look, if, Whereas if this you go thing, back and actually look at Mandigo, there was a lot of cultural commentary in that that was pretty biting. Yeah. Yes, yes. There was a lot of cultural commentary. Before I saw it, I just listened to what other people said and I went into it just believing all the same shit. I thought it was just yeah, like soft porn or shit, but then I f- from a slave plantation. This is what you yeah, thinking. but but it has way more insight. It has way more insight than this. And but the problem is, I think if you're a white liberal watching it, you might feel indicted. Whereas this one, this one, two things. It has that pseudo intellectual, um, invisible back backpack, masturbatory white privilege bullshit throwing in and all, all the intersectional stuff that you know, um, uh, kind of panders to them to that crowd but also and tell me if you agree with this jay i felt like it acted like white people were not actively bad or actively being racist or actively benefiting from well maybe not benefiting but not deliberately benefiting it was more like they just didn't know any better they were just like it's weird because they're both, and I guess it has to do with BDSM too. BDSM, like people kind of switch roles and there's like a dominating uh, aspect to being a submissive and submissive aspect to being a dominant. Like it's like there's the what's on the surface and then what's underneath. Like, for example, the original play that created the concept in the West of um, masochism, um, not play, it's a book. It's called um, Venus in Furs and the author's last name is um, Masak. Yeah, 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 Masak. And what a lot of people don't know is they just know it's about a guy who is, you know, being like, you know, humiliated and treated like shit by this woman who's like the Venus in Furs. But when you read the actual book, the whole book is about him training her and how to dominate him. Like she doesn't want to do it at first, really, or she doesn't know what to do. And he's the one who puts her in the furs. She's like his um Pygmalion, his my fair lady. He creates the perfect um master. So then it kind of complicates it because you're like, okay, who's actually in control? If you're controlling me, but you're controlling me by my instructions, by my um by my designs, by my desires. If my desires are creating this, are you really the dominant or are you really the submissive? Are are am I in, are you in control or am I in control? Like I'm the one who has to be satisfied with the way that you humiliate the shit out of me. And I feel like this movie kind of had this play i keep saying movie damn it this play has that kind of thing going on but doesn't have anything insightful to say about it but what's kind of happening is the submissive or the you know rape black person and i'm sure you felt this too jay like there's this kind of thing where she's kind of grooming her white partner on how to rape her how to treat her how to um humiliate her but you get this idea that the white guy doesn't want to do it he doesn't really Really, he's not into it like none of these white people deliberately like or really kind of get off on this stuff most of the time it's the black person who's kind of um molding them yes i, I agree that with that as well um that the couple with alana and philip oh i i she met him on um fet life was basically a, a fetish website y- yeah it's kind of like a fetish website for tinder yeah <laughs> <laughs> and the 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 white people just seem so like. Oh, wait a minute, I so like confused and and I don't I don't really want to do this. I 
I, I love you. Like, oh, they, they're just playing dumb throughout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not very indicting of them, but yeah. uh, but but on top of that, it's also like like they just need to be educated. They need to be informed. Like like they they want to do the best they can. It's the same. It's the same sort of conversation you have about racism. It's like they want to pretend like they don't know what's going on, and if you educate them, then it will stop. They know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. And they created everything. They they understand us better than we understand um, them because they in a way created us with uh their systems like you know what i mean like and they love to play dumb and trick us into wasting time trying to educate them while they uh play dumb but they're, they're savvy they they know and that's what this thing is this thing kind of lets them off the hook like it's just about so like the black people's frustration with them is like having somebody who just can't get it and you just keep trying and trying and it doesn't really go into the fact that a lot of people white people just won't get it like it's a conscious choice or they do get it and they're playing dumb like this person but on top of that out of all the white people i feel like the white man got off the easiest without question without question there was a lot of you know and this is not to say i, I feel like super sympathetic to white women but in some ways i become i feel like it become almost a little too cool to beat up on white women and the reason why i say that like um hear me out is not to say that white women don't deserve a lot of the grief they get but what i'm saying is the coolness of beating up white women has become this kind of thing where it's almost helped to distract from white men so it's like this movie spends a lot of time kind of making fun of the white woman. And as a result um, of all the laughs again, the expense of the white woman, like the white guy is really passing under the radar a lot. You know, you know, you know what that I mean? goes back to what I was saying again, man. You know, if you if you are a playwright and the whole basis of your existence is appealing to white men, of course, you're going to make them sympathetic and you're going to see them as on a higher level of consciousness or a higher level of humanity than you see anybody else. So what you're seeing, honestly, I think it all comes down to what you're seeing is a journal from somebody dealing with someone, some deep psychosis or some deep neurosis to where they need they need to get it out some way. And what you're seeing is manifesting on stage. It has nothing to do with the real world outside of what's in this guy's head. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and this is the big problem with that to piggyback off what you said. Right. Um, it's like that unrepentant drug addict. Right. And the only people he has to help him through this are drug dealers. You, you know, like, like he has nothing but drug dealers to help him <laughs> with this problem. He's like, listen, I'm in this fucked up state. You know, I'm I'm bubbles in the wire. I'm train spotting. I'm this and I need your help. And then, like, you know, the camera pulls back and it's just like. 12 of the most undependent drug dealers, you know, you ever saw. And you're like, oh, don't worry. We're going to help you through this. And it's like, okay, that's really, that's really not going to do much. And they can be like, well, well, here you go. In the meantime, here's a bunch of books by people who weren't addicted to drugs. And if you read them, that'll definitely help. But in the meantime, all your development, all your guidance is going to be, all your friendships, all your lovers are going to be with us, drug dealers and drug addicts, you know? But we'll throw in some great writings on drugs written by people who weren't addicted to drugs. And, you know... That'll be you doing the work. And, and that's what this thing is, because I watched a lot of interviews with this guy and he kept saying how he was raised among white people. He was went to school around white people. He's been around all these all white spaces like his whole life. He um, went to one of the most elite. He went to like a majority white public school, then went to one of the most elite white private schools as a child and, you know, hung out with white people Then went to Yale. And then one of the things he said, and he was like so proud and complimentary of the white mentors he had where, where he said um during the interview he, he said hey you know 
But one thing I'll say, all these white people were very great to me at Yale. All the white people were saying, hey, the, you know, they were mentoring me or teaching me. He goes, hey, you know, we're um, going to give you tips and, you know, mold you. But we also realize this is not our experience. We're not black. We're going to get out of your way. We're going to we're going to listen. You know, that's the big ally word. We're going to listen. You know, we're going to. um let you lead, let you do whatever. We're going to get out of your way. And he was praising how they kind of didn't interfere because they knew their place as white people and, you know, not to speak. But I'm like, your problem isn't getting white people not to interfere. Your problem is finding black people to insert themselves. That's what you need in your life. You don't like, you know, back to the drug dealer analogy. It's like having all these drug dealers around you. And then, you know, the drug dealer is like, look, uh, we know you're addicted to drugs and we know like, you know, we uh, supply you with the drugs, but we're just going to leave the drugs around you and just leave the room. You know, we're not going to force you to smoke them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like it's not what, the, what you need. You need somebody who is not addicted to drugs, who understands it, who's going to get in and say, listen, I'm making an executive decision. I'm going to hit you to some game. And that's what I think is disturbing. The fact that he doesn't even consider to himself that he needs black mentorship, like, but not mentorship of black people who are as addicted to white people as he is. Like, he needs a black space. He needs to figure out who he is without his drug, which is, which is white people, you know? And, well, you know, yeah. it becomes a loop, you know, it's like, it's, yeah, we can keep going with your analogy. You know, addicts only want to hang around other addicts, you know? And the only people other addicts really care about is getting their new fix, you know, their latest fix from their, from their connection. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you only want to be around other addicts or dealers? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So they're not going to really listen to anybody telling them maybe you need to let this go and get you some therapy or try to get some, you know, get into a program. They're going to keep that high going. And if you're high as white men, then where are you going to go? You're going to hang around people who have the same addiction, like you said, and you're going to go back to your dealer. The trouble is the people who are supplying them the drug, put them on platforms and tell them to preach to everybody else. And then everybody looks at you crazy. The people who are out here in the real world who aren't addicted to the same thing you are look at you crazy. And then you want to think they're crazy. It becomes a loop. All right. So that's the end of part one. Come back for part two next episode.